Brethren, if you would open your copy of God's Word this day to Genesis chapter 1. While you are doing that, uh, start by quoting some words from a song that meant a great deal to me, still does, but back when I was in college in the early 90s. As you all know, I know many of you who are a little older particularly always enjoyed the music of Stephen Curtis Chapman. And there was one song I remember that just really, among many of his, that stuck out to me. I was meditating on this week, and it goes like this. So, so many hypocrites, I, I heard him say. I even saw it in the headlines today. How can I worship God when his own people turn away? Nobody's perfect. I just want to see somebody live in what they say they believe. And then the chorus goes, can they see God for who he really is and what they see in you and me? Can they see God for who he really is? For who he really is is all they really need to see. Brethren, as we come today to this text and we look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that really is the issue. I just want to say in some, that the issue before us as we consider the image of God and what it means to be bearers of that image is simply that. Can they see God for who He really is in the way that we live? In the way our families live, as we live individually, as we live in households, as we live in community here at this congregation? Is it our goal, is it our yearning desire that those around us would be able to truly say, surely the Lord is among you? I'm reminded there in Acts 4, you know, it was said of Peter that you know, he's the fisherman, a lowly disciple, bumbling disciple. And yet they said of Peter and John, they said, surely uh, when they took note that they had been with Jesus, when they saw Peter's power and his conviction and his words, and they said they took note that this, this one had been with Jesus because they saw in Peter, though a lowly man, not of great education and giftings, this was one who had the compassion and the courage, the power of Christ on his life. And he spoke the word in truth. I pray that would be so for all of us. If you would stand, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. 26 through, let's read 26 to 28 today. Genesis 1, verse 26, 28, hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we today would come to a far deeper understanding as well as conviction of the urgency of bearing the image of the living God rightly. Father, that is fundamentally the call to which you have put before us as your people, is that the world would see and savor Jesus, the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit through what they see in us. So, Father, help us to that end. Though we are weak, though we fall often, yet, Father, may our lives not be hypocritical and may they exude the fragrance of Christ Father, before a watching world that so desperately needs to see him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. I want to remind you as a place to start today. We're not going to go through the entirety of the first chapter of Genesis. I'm not going to rehearse everything we see in verse 1 to 25, but just to remind you 
that the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good, as our catechism says, that he is the one who spoke light and it was by the word of his power. He is the one who divides, who divided the heavens from the water, beneath the waters from the waters. He's the one who divides light from darkness. It is he who created each of the creatures according to their kind and according to their purpose by his sovereign design, and he pronounced it all good. But then he created man, as we read just now, mankind in his own image. He created Adam, and to Adam, he said specifically that Adam, unlike the rest of the creation on the earth and in the sky and in the sea of Adam, it was said that this one will be made in our image, in our likeness, would have dominion then in our name, the name of the Almighty, over the things of the earth, to, as it were, to do on earth what the living God had just done in creation, to be his ambassadors, his representatives, his stewards on earth in his name, to rule and to reign as priests and kings. Brethren, that was the call and I want to remind you that in our Lord Jesus, that for those of us, though under the curse and having been afflicted with it, that the restoration of that image in us and of redemption involves the restoration of his people to their calling of dominion. Our mission statement, as we've been focusing on this week, let me just read that this, this, this month. It says again, Resurrection Presbyterian Church exists to glorify the one triune and living God by worshiping God in spirit and in truth, as we saw last week, but then secondly, and relatedly, by exercising as God's restored image bearers godly dominion in His name. Brethren, this is part and parcel of what it means to be disciples of Christ, to be born again bearing the image of the second Adam, of he who is the perfect image of the triune God in whom all the fullness dwells of grace and truth. And of that fullness, the scripture says in John 1.16, we have all received in grace upon grace. Brethren, if you are born again in the Spirit, then brethren, you bear the image of that new man. You bear the image of Christ, the image of God. And the Lord's calling on us is to restore us to be ruling and reigning now, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to always avoid persecution, but I, I love the way Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about there, that those who are in Christ, he says, reign in this life. Speaks in Revelation 2 and 3 uh, of each of the seven churches, to the ones who overcome, though in the midst of doctrinal persecution, error, and lies in Physical, physical persecution and loss, and yet he says to those who overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, to those who show by their lives that they are children of the living God and that their citizenship is in heaven and that that is their chief end and goal is to glorify God on earth as in heaven and to be satisfied in him, he says to them that overcome, and then he gives each one a specific blessing, an outpouring of grace and a crown Brethren, that's dominion, that is obedience, and that is showing the world the light of the living God in the midst of the darkness, when we shine, as Paul says in Philippians 2, as children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, holding fast to the word of life. So brethren, our calling then is to bear that image before the Lord. I want to remind you lastly, as we look briefly at this text, that as we said, all creation shares and participates, reflects God's one purpose to serve and to glorify the living God. And man is the pinnacle of that. But also that each, as we're going to see today, each created thing participates differently in that purpose and bringing it about according to God's design his purpose, his place of where he's put them. And that's both horizontal in terms of varying gifts, varying, varying abilities, but it's also vertical 
with regard to where the living God has placed us in our station. You know, all of us are put by the sovereign God exactly where he intended us to be. And there are people who are in context that our people will be above us in authority and rank and below us. Brethren, part of bearing God's image well on earth and individually and in our households and in the church is reveling and accepting and rejoicing in where God himself has put us both the gifts he's given us is where he's put us in his church and in our households and saying, God, I'm going to be about your purpose, your kingdom, building your kingdom and your glory and not about my own. Brethren, you know, we're, we're told today, uh, I'm remembering back in the 90s, there was a TV commercial uh, from uh, uh, Icon, I think it was uh, Canon Icon cameras, but their, mo- their mantra was, image is everything. Image is everything. Right? Your, how you present to the world is everything. Brethren, I want to say to you as Christians, that is true, but not like they mean it. It's not your image that's everything, because you died, as we read in Colossians. Your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. You were raised again in a new image with a new name. It is Jesus' name that is the name above all names that matters far more, far more than my name. And it is his image before the watching world that is to be our chief end and calling, not ours. So with that thought in mind, then let's consider briefly just these three points. Number one, let's consider, I'm going to say three provisions today. I'm I'm not going to look specifically today at the work of dominion. We're going to look at that next week about what it means to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, tend, and keep. We'll, we'll look at that next week, the work of dominion. What I would like to focus on today is the provisions for dominion. We'll call them God's provisions for exercising, for bearing His image rightly in the world. And the first provision God has given us, brethren, is that God Himself gave Himself to us. And that is the most fundamental thing. Before other, every other secondary thing that we need to fulfill this calling in Christ Jesus, in obedient faith, we need God himself with us and for us. Chapter 2, verse 7, we see that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, out of the earth that he had made, and then the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, so that man became a living being. The very life of God was given to Adam. I don't know all the details of exactly all it is, but it was the very essence, the life of God. He breathed into Adam, as he said, I'm going to put our image into Adam, and then male and female, he takes Eve from Adam. We'll look at that in a moment. But that man was set apart, and God breathed his eternal life, the life in whom only God intuitively, natively, intrinsically has life, and he breathed it into man, imparted it to man. And he says, I'm giving you my life. You will become a living spirit, a living being, where once there was nothing but immateriality and no image of God in that sense, suddenly there is an image bearer, and he is alive. And that means that all created reality, all life proceeds from God and is sustained in God and towards God. Secondly, the Lord God also gave man his fellowship. If you look in chapter 3, just briefly, there's the account of the fall. I'm not going to go deep on this today, but there we see Adam and Eve, and it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees, and so so on. And the Lord God called to them and said, Where are you? Now, brethren, the implication of that is that This wasn't the first time that had happened. The Lord God was once again walking in the middle of the day. He was walking in their midst. The sense that seems to be is that God had, as they were in the garden, that they had been, as that old hymn says, and there are things I like about the hymn, things I don't care for as much, but you remember, I walk in the garden alone. And I hear, He walks with me and He talks with me. Brethren, Adam and Eve were experiencing that, walking with the living God in the Garden of Eden. He knew them, and they knew him in his presence in that holy garden sanctuary, in his holy place. 
And that's why the curse was so radically evil, because it broke that fellowship. Shame came in. Separation came in instead of fellowship. But from the beginning, the Lord had given man his fellowship. He planted them in a garden, and the very tabernacle and the sanctuary of God were essentially what was his holy mountain on earth, the holy place of the Lord. And he gave them free access there to all of him and to the tree of life to feast and drink and talk and walk with him. What a glorious thing, brethren. And is that not, when in our redemption and our restoration in Christ, is that not the end for us, the goal that of reconciliation and restoration of full and deep fellowship of abiding in the Lord, coming into His holy place, into that garden again where the way has been reopened up for us to come in day by day and especially on this Lord's day to be in the presence of the Almighty. Thank God for the provision of Himself and His fellowship. He gave them a Sabbath day. The beginning, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, at the, on the seventh day, the first thing after making them on day 6, on the seventh day he sets aside a Sabbath as a holy day sanctified to him to come and worship him, to come and, as, as Abel did, to come and present to him the offerings, the things themselves and the things of their life and to receive from him blessing and his approbation. Another blessing of God's presence with them. To drink freely of the living waters that flowed from the four rivers and under the throne of God, as we read about there in Genesis, to eat freely of the tree of life. Brethren, is that not our highest and desire and, and yearning for you and me? To know God. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus said in John 17, 3? This is eternal life that they may know. And that word know there isn't just simply con contextual uh, head knowledge. It's that they may have fellowship intimate, knowing, relational knowledge of you, Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brethren, that is eternal life, is to know and walk with and abide in the living God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. So I ask you, brethren, is that what drives you? You have a holy yearning to see and savor the living God, to drink of those waters daily, to eat of the tree of life, to, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed little by little from glory to glory as by the image of God. <laughs> Brethren, is that your deepest yearning and desire to know, to see the Lord? Brethren, because the scripture tells me that blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. They will savor God. Brethren, do you yearn for a purity of heart in the Lord today? I, I exhort you to pray to that end. Oh God, purify me. Purify my heart that I might see Jesus, the living God, that I may know the Spirit's presence more and more, that I may be conformed to that image more and more and savor it as my chief and highest end and delight. Number two. Consider, secondly, God's provision of his own image. Again, verse 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, so on. And then verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Let's talk about that image real quick. There's a lot of misunderstanding of God's image even, unfortunately, I think, among much of the Christian church. And that inevitably and necessarily then leads to distortions, perversions, and exercising dominion over the earth as his ambassadors and stewards, as, as, as his people. If we don't get the image right, we're not going to bear that image rightly. We will bear false witness to the Lord. We will take up his name in vain. And that's not something we want to do. So let's consider, first of all, that image. Number one, the elements of God's image. Let's consider those, what are sometimes called the communicable attributes by theologians. We don't need to get into all the depths of that, just to say that the questions are, what is it about the living God that is to be replicated, that he has given, and that we are to partake of? 
What are people supposed to be able to see and the world supposed to be able to see about God through our lives? Number one, we want to focus on what God's image is in himself because that's the pattern, right? Let's talk about God's image in himself and the Trinitarian Godhead. In, God, in the Godhead, God's, there's an essential unity of being among the three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All that God is and his essence is also true of all three persons in the Godhead. Though there is only one true and living God, yet he has always existed in three persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Long before there were men and women, long before there were angels created, the one God had perfect, perfect communion within himself because he has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all three persons of the Godhead share equally and fully in the divine nature and attributes. What a marvelous thing. Our Westminster Larger Catechism, question 7, puts it this way. It says, what is God? And of course, again, this applies to all three persons of the Godhead. And it says, first of all, God is a spirit. And then skipping a little ahead, it says, He is a spirit and He is most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. That's a, that's a pretty good summary of to say, if that's what God is, and surely that is fundamental to the image that He has called us to bear and to bear. He is a spirit, and so too God breathed into Adam and he became a living spirit, a living being. When we are born again, we are born of the spirit and our spirits which are dead are brought to life to be responsive to the living God that we may worship him in the spirit and in truth. And so too, God is wise, he is most holy, just, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. We might add to that and yet one, think Exodus 33, who by no means clears the guilty who's a God who hates evil and iniquity. There's also in God a holy, righteous indignation against the uh, diminishment and the uh, misrepresentation and the reviling of his name among men. So brethren, for us too, in the same way, not with a holy self-righteousness, for what are we but sinners saved by grace, but uh, uh, you, you know, like Phineas in, 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 in Numbers 25, you know, for the zeal of God's name, when God's name was being openly perverted among the people of Israel, Phineas was the one who took up the spear and, and, and filled with the spirit in zeal for the Lord's name, and God blessed him. Oh, that we would be a people that mourn over sin, that hate evil, even as we love and cling fast to that which is good, so that our love will be without hypocrisy. We will bear that image well. And in the essential unity of the Trinity, Westminster chapter, our confession, chapter 2, 3 says this, In the unity of the Godhead there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. And the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. I'm not going to try to explain all that right now, just to say that even within the equality and unity of the Trinity, the persons of Trinity, there is nevertheless, there is a division of labor and a proceeding. We see, and this really gets down to the, the second, to the, uh, what we would call the economic or the functional aspects of the Trinity. The three persons of the Trinity differ in their roles and how they relate to each other and to the world, though they are one in every way. The Father and the Son is an intertrinitarian relationship since it's eternal, a relationship of peace, unity, and zealous love for one another. And the Spirit, too, is about proclaiming the glory of the Father and the Son. One single verse that really captures this up well, if you want to think about it, is 1 Peter chapter 1, 2. The Apostle Peter there says, writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion, he says that they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So to summarize that down, that both creation and redemption, the Father is the one in whom all, of, in, in the Father's mind, and His purposes, He was the great architect who drafted and who who. All things that came to be came from the Father. 
He was the one who put it into being. The eternal Son who is only begotten of the Father eternally, always. He is the one who, in glad obedience to the Father and for the Father's glory, He is the one who spoke in creation. But is he who then in that new creation, he is the one who came as the perfect image of the Father and said, here am I, send me, I will do all your will. And Jesus came, God incarnate, and dwelt among us, and he fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus accomplished salvation. Praise be to God. And he is accomplishing it and will to the end, even as he is reigning and ruling now at the Father's right hand until he hands the kingdom back over to the Father at the end, that God may be all in all. But then the Spirit is the one that was sent forth by the Father and the Son to apply that salvation to us, to make it effectual to all of his people, to gather in the sheep, to apply what Jesus did on the cross and his merit and his blood effectually to you and me that we might be born of the Lord. We might bear that image afresh so that Christ himself would dwell in us the hope of glory. Brethren, that's all about the Spirit, the abiding life of Christ in us. I will say as, a, as a, an application of that, and this is in our core commitments as well, I just want us to believe it. Brethren, you know, we're Reformed Presbyterians, and we, we don't believe, I don't believe, I don't accept, uh, you know, the, the ongoing uh, kind of radical, charismatic gifts for today. But brethren, I want to be abundantly clear to you and to me that there is no Christian life fundamentally that is not dependent upon and reliant upon and saturated with the Holy Spirit. Brethren, we must be a people who are walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit, seeking the presence of the Spirit, depending on the Spirit with us, because it's God with us, praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, as we saw last week. It's my conviction that we need to have a far more robust, not only theology, but practice of the life and the spiritual life in the Lord. Because that is Christ with us. So consider that. The Father's working in all of these things. And so these elements then that we see of, of God's image in himself, both the equality of the persons as well as the differentiation among them, subordination, you know, when Jesus even says the Father is greater than I, he doesn't mean in sense of eternally, but in terms of what God sent him to do, Jesus acknowledges my Father is greater than I am, and I do what he sent me to do. I say the words he sent me to say. I do the works that my Father gave me to do. And then when Jesus in John 14 to 16, when he says the spirit of truth will come, he will lead you into all righteousness because he will point to me and he will glorify me. The Father through me. So there's, there's, there's a subordination even within equality. So brethren, that image within the Trinity then becomes very informative of that image in us. Let's consider then briefly some elements of God's image in us. Number one, first obvious, that social relationships just as there is joyful fellowship and community and mutual selfless love and honor among the three persons of the Trinity, brethren, so too, part of bearing that image is that we were made to live in fellowship and community one with another. We're going to see that just later in chapter 2 when God brings Adam to the place after he's named all the creatures and begun exercising dominion and he's begun to, to evaluate and name them he immediately recognizes that he's got a problem. God did that on purpose. I can't fulfill this dominion calling on my life, and there wasn't a helper suitable to him. So God is going to take Eve from his side. He who bore the image of God, he's going to take a woman out of him who is the image of God, and she is going to be his help and compliment him. She also bearing that image of God in herself as a co-heir of life, but as a helper in God's kingdom purposes to Adam. Social relationships, it was not good for man to be alone. Brethren, that is not different now. If we're going to live the life that God has called us to be and be his image bearers, there is no place for lone ranger isolated unto himself. No man is an island, John Dunn said, entire unto himself. Brethren, we need the people of God. We need the brethren. 
One of the reasons we're putting such an emphasis on that in our congregation as well as with the people of God that we know to be faithful to the Lord is because we believe that Christianity must be lived out in community and in true unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Amen? It must. To the degree that that bond of peace amongst the people that love the Lord God and His Word is, is broken and hindered, to that degree God's image is hindered and, his, his, and, and, the, and the gospel is misrepresented to the world. Secondly, there's the aspect of communication, speaking and naming. As I said, God Himself spoke and it was. He spoke all that was into being. And it was, and he separates and divides, but then what is the first thing he calls Adam to do? Adam, name the creatures, get, evaluate them, look at them and name them, identify them by their characteristics and features. And that's an exercise of dominion, that's imposing an identity. Do as I have done, Adam, so too. Name, but speak and communicate. That's, that's something which is distinct. Brethren, the animals don't do that. They just don't. Not like verbally, they can't, they can't verbally and intuitively communicate like we can. There's rationality, our intellectual faculties, critical reasoning and thinking. Brethren, animals are instinctive. They do exactly as programmed to do, but there's not the ability to have higher thinking and critical reasoning. Brethren, that ability to think and to, to, to consider, to evaluate critical reasoning, thinking, and logic, and so on, to evaluate historically and to think in terms of future uh, plans and, and, and adjustments, to all of these things are part of the image of God in man. And I might add as a corollary to that then, that should, for all of us, especially for you youngers in school, that should be an uh, admonition to you to say, I'm going to develop my thinking skills well and I'm not going to be lazy in school because I want to develop the gifts God has given me and to be fruitful in them, including my mind, worshiping the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A well-ordered mind is a very much a reflection of the goodness of God. Our moral righteous, our moral righteous conscience. It's God's law written on our heart. I won't read it, but again, Romans chapter 2, verse 12 to 16, it affirms there that even those without the law given to them in, in, in written form, that even the Gentiles had it written upon their heart from creation, so that none are without excuse. We are all brethren as image bearers. We are born with a sense of God's righteousness. Of his, of his, what is pleasing to him on the heart. Now they can be darkened and corrupted, blotted out by sin and rebellion. You can read all about that in Romans 1.18 and following. But brethren, we know the truth. We know what pleases God. And it's written on our heart and our conscience either accusing or excusing us, as Paul says in Romans. In the day when the secrets of men will be revealed and judged by the Lord. We have, as I said, self self-reflection and critique, the ability to evaluate ourselves from the past, what have we done, and to make choices then for the future accordingly. That's a distinctively human characteristic. And of course, worshiping the living God. Brethren, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, but the worship of the living God as His image bearers is a distinctly human endeavor to which we as his priests and his kings restored in Christ are called to come in and to worship the living God along the angels. And of course, ruling and dominion, as we'll see, this exercise of authority over the lesser things in the air and the sky and under the, under the sea, all of these things, that exercising of dominion, of, of, of image bearers, that's part of bearing the image. Other passages you might consider like the fruits of the Spirit or the Beatitudes, those are all things, they're attributes of God that inform us about who we are and God's calling on us. Consider also God's image, not only in, the, in terms of those things, but in terms of what I call image in two planes. As I said at the beginning, God's image in male and female specifically, and His calling is both horizontal as well as vertical. It's horizontal in that there is a fundamental equality of value from the living God, just as there is an equality among the persons of the Godhead, essentially, right? 
Our sisters in Christ, all of you dear sisters, I remind you of Galatians 3. You are all sons, children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female in that sense. There is simply not, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, male and female, and heirs according to that same promise. That's why 1 Peter 3, 7b warns men, my brothers, that you are to live with your wives according to godliness, giving them honor as the weaker vessel. Otherwise, God will not hear our prayers. And the reason he says is because your sisters there in 1 Peter 3, 7b, it says to honor them as co-heirs together with you of the grace of life. So brethren, there is within the household of God, within our household, there is a fundamental equality of value before the living God and you need to hear that and you need to believe that embrace that whether male or female the living God has known me he has chosen me he has called me he's filled me with his spirit and he has blessed me and he is intent upon blessing me to the end then that's a great wonderful thing but there's also within that image a vertical aspect, and we need to love and embrace that as well. The vertical, which has to do with hierarchy, with authority, submission, place, and rank. Just to say that God himself, from the beginning, right here in Genesis 1, he established households. He established Adam as the head, and he takes Eve from his side to be a help to him. And that that household that the Lord establishes as the prototype right there at the beginning is one in which the role relationships within those households are set by God. There's creating and calling men to lead and initiate and the sisters to help in that calling and exercising godly dominion because man can't do it on his own. He needs help. But they both need to be trucking in the same direction and embracing their callings in the Lord rather than fighting. Remember the curse that the Lord gave in Genesis 3 was that for man and his calling of subduing the earth and of providing, the curse was that the earth was going to not cooperate. It was going to bear weeds and it was by the sweat of his brow. But that was because his calling was to provide, protect, you know, to, to procreate, And to to do these things, but it was going to be hard because that was his calling and the curse was in kind. So too, the sisters, their calling as helps and, and uh, and bring up fruit and seed in that sense was that it was now going to be hard and it was going to be difficult. And that part of the problem was that they, they were in their hearts going to, their, you know, their husband would be over them and yet they would resent that. Your yearning would be for your husband's place. That's the sense of the verse there in Genesis 3. And so it was going to warp all things, but when Jesus redeems us, he begins to put us back together. Men begin to be, take dominion again. They begin to embrace their calling as leaders, leader servants in their homes. They begin to do what Jesus says, and what Paul says in Ephesians 5. They begin to embrace the call to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to lay down their lives for their wives, to take ownership of their homes and their children, to say, in Jesus' name, I'm going to wash us with the water of the word. And I'm going to pray with and for my children by God's help and set a godly example before them and say to them, come follow me as I follow Christ. And when I fail and I will fail daily, I will be the first confessor, the chief confessor in my home, confessing my sins as well as confessing my faith. I will confess my sins freely and say, children, follow me. I follow Christ and I will confess to you my faith and say we will obey in the obedience of faith as for me and my house we will follow the Lord come follow me as I follow Christ men are you committed in grace to being the chief confessors in your home confessing your sins confessing your faith leading your wife and children as leader servants in your home setting course and vision with your eyes on Jesus Christ alone and his glory not your own dying to yourself living for his name and his kingdom. He will help you. And corollary to that, sisters, you know, know, sometimes evangelicals are ashamed. We get really squeamish around 
verses like, I'll have you turn there. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Why don't you go ahead and turn there real quick. We have said that we believe the scriptures to be the full and entire word of God. And that means that, as Jesus says in Luke 9, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will I be ashamed on the last day. That includes the apostolic words. So we want to embrace all that God has said is good, very good. When he male and female made he them according to their place, rank, station, and their calling to be his dominion, he said it was very good. We want to say amen to that. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, Now I praise you, brethren. I'm sorry, verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Verse 3. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God, and so on. Verse 7, he talks there how, and I want to get into the issue, uh, this is a secondary issue, I heard talk about head coverings today, but he says, a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Woman is the glory of man. Man is not from woman, but the woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man, and so on. Brethren, I want to exhort you today. I will tell you there is all sorts of, uh, you know, there's two ditches here. On the one hand, all of us have seen, experienced the image of God broken through abusive, ungodly, unchristlike patriarchy. We have. I know in my home there have been many times where I myself have portrayed a bad image of God through not demonstrating Christ, through being. Uh, get angry at self, my own self-righteous things, not righteous indignation, but just because I'm not getting my way, because I'm concerned about my name. Brethren, we, we've all seen, maybe experienced, context of, of ungodly patriarchy, where ungodly hierarchy, where men were not behaving as godly leaders. You say that image of Christ is very broken and cracked there, right? But brethren, the opposite, and which, which we're tempted to, on the opposite side, is the tempt, tempt, temptation to, to pendulum and to want to say, you know what, down with all hierarchy, down, down with all uh, rank and place in God's created, you know, to say that um, there should be no distinctions in the home, in the church, anything you can do, I can do better, you know, to revolt against that. Brethren, we need grace upon grace to walk in that narrow way. Obedience for brothers to be men of God in your homes and to love your wives sacrificially. Pour out for them so that they love Jesus more because of your example in the home. God help us, men. Sisters, you need grace to resist the spirit of the age, the demonic, unbelieving spirit that says reject, revolt against God's norm in the marriage and the household rebel against his establishment of authority don't submit as paul says in ephesians 5 don't submit to your husbands because after all they're very imperfect and cracked images of christ yes they are yes they are sisters pray for them all the more that the Lord will make that image whole and pure, but resolve in the Lord, as 1 Peter 3 says of, of Sarah, that she submitted to Abraham. She gladly served the Lord, and she submitted herself to the lordship of God through the lordship of Abraham, not as a doormat, but in faith. And the answer, brethren, for all of us is because both Abraham and Sarah, as well as for you and I, the question is this, do we love God's kingdom purposes in his name above our own? You know the thing that drives ungodly patriarchy? It's men who love their own name, their own glory, above the name and the glory and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you know what drives the, the uh, feminist egalitarian spirit it's the same thing <laughs> it's the same thing just manifesting in a different way brethren my, my call for you as image bearers today back to what we said at the beginning Stephen Curtis Chapman will they see God and who he is and what they see in you mean that's not just me individually it is me individually as you go out and as you go out, each of us go out, will they see God in the way I live and the way I show Christ to them but it's also in the way our households function 
Is there, is there a, a fundamental unity and peace and joy in our households? It doesn't matter, like I said, are we, and as we seek to raise children, whether those are biological children, or as I said, even if the Lord doesn't give us biological children, man, the scripture speaks so much about spiritual children. Paul, as far as we know, didn't have biological children, but he speaks of, of many children that he raised up in the Lord and the churches as a father and a mother, how he discipled them and he loved them. He poured into their lives and he had a great harvest, a fruitful harvest for the Lord. Brethren, it doesn't matter. I want to remind you as we, as we get down to this end then, we said last week that the fundamental issue about glorifying God, if you abide in me, John 15 says, 15 says this, and my word abides in you, you will ask what you will and it will be given to you. God will be answered, glorified in answering your prayers, for by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and thus show yourself to be my disciples. Brethren, our goal is fruitfulness, whether that's the fruit of the womb and seeing those children raised up as disciples. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, it's fruit, fruit of, of people with whom I work, seeing them see and know Jesus through me praying for them, oh God, would you make me an ambassador of Christ, anointed for ministry where you've called me to work. Whether it's repairing cars or at Ace Hardware, wherever else, I am an anointed ambassador and minister of God, bringing the light of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ and his kingdom to bear. It has come near to all those people with whom, who see me. Do I want to see disciples raised up? Do I want to see people know Christ? Am I working to that end? said in my own biological children or spiritual children people with whom you work that you invest your lives into but brethren our desire is that God would have a harvest for the fields are white for harvest we want to bring him fruit but part of that then brethren means bearing his image rightly so that they see God as he is and they see how good the kingdom of God is they see the beauty of the living triune God both in unity equality as well as in division Brethren, we want them to see God. I'm not going to go then deep into point three. I'm just going to simply summarize. God gives them his blessing. He says it's all very good. So God looks at this, what he's just made, male and female, made he them, both with equality of value as well as place and rank and calling. And he said, this is very good. This is a very good image of me, the triune God, and the way we are. He blesses them. I Honestly, I, I personally think that it's the same blessing that we read about there in number six. The Lord later calls this blessing, and he tells the Aaronic priest to, he says, you speak this blessing over the children of Israel. You say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, you know. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, be gracious to you, and give you his peace. I actually think that's what the Lord said to Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord bless you, because this is good. This is very good. You too, and the way I've made you, and the calling, you look like us. You're not God, but the image is there. It's very good. And he blessed them with sustenance. Like I said, maybe next week we'll look more into that. Tree of life, living waters. He gave them every herb of the field for their sustenance. And he gave them the Sabbath as a day of rest and recuperation and of reward and blessing in God's presence. And lastly, he's going to bless them with instruction and authority. There in verse 28 and following, and then also in chapter 2, verse 15, says that God took them in, he planted him in a garden. And the garden, really, brethren, was kind of like an instruction. It was like a classroom, a one-room schoolroom. We're going to teach you here the fundamentals of dominion so that the day will come in which you're going to graduate and you're going to go out there, outside the garden, and you're going to gardenize the world in my name. You're going to take the, the unformed mass that's still out there and you're going to glorify it and beautify it in my name the way I've taught you. Now, we know Adam and Eve... They rejected God's instruction early on. But brethren, the call for us who are redeemed in Christ is the same. He gives us instruction. We have a garden. We learn of the Lord. 
We come into his presence and he teaches us his ways. And we have his word of instruction. Say, this is the way. Walk in it. And he gave them, lastly, authority and sonship. He says, I have given you dominion. You will rule over the birds in the air. You will rule over the beast of the sea, land and you will the things in the sea. In my name, you will bring about godly stewardship. You will bring about a godly replica on earth as it is in heaven. And you will bring about gladness and goodness in my name and beauty and truth on the earth as you follow me and walk in my ways. Brethren, that's our calling. So that means your work matters, your homes matter, your households matter. Everything you do has eternal value now and significance because it's being restored and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Isn't that a glorious thing? Brethren, the Lord is not just about redeeming our souls. He is about redeeming all of our lives because, brethren, he is about redeeming the world and the creation. So, brothers, let's embrace our part. Let's embrace what it means to be his image bearers on earth as in heaven. Let's not settle for the compromises, the lies that call us to be at war with God's purposes and callings upon us. But let's say, God, our lives, we just want to be fruitful in every way. Lord, I want to bring you fruit that you would be glorified among men and we would be glad. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you have made each of us here, male, female, that we bear the image of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we have been called into fellowship, just as Apostle John said in 1 John Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, and we write these things to you that you might have fellowship with us and that our, your joy may be full, that we would walk in the light with the living triune God as He is in the light, that we might walk in true, biblical, righteous love as the true triune God is a God of love as well as light. Father, I pray for us we are swimming upstream toward glory. We understand that in this crooked and perverse generation that we are holding forth the light of truth and the love of God. We understand, Father, that there is so much that is set against us and it looks like the mountains are so big. But Father, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him for us all. How will you not with him freely give us all things? Oh God, make your image clear in us. Give us grace to embrace where you've placed us in your callings, to seek your kingdom and not our own, to seek your name and fame, not our own, as our chief and highest end. And oh God, may as we do so and as we walk in the obedience of faith, Father, would you grant that we would have deep and satisfying joy and glory in it. That you would get glory in us and we would be the blessed of the Lord and that the world would be blessed in you. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.